Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Be the miners. Sure, they're like three years old. Miners, not miners. If you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. <laughs> I don't, don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Every time someone says, I do not believe in fairies, somewhere there's a fairy that falls down we dead. We women who aren't afraid to fight, to stand up for our dignity. Transference is inevitable, sir. Every human being has an impact. There are no colored bathrooms in this building. Simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. Life will not be contained. Life breaks free. Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic. According to Wikipedia, okay. Aristotle's Poetics is the earliest surviving work of dramatic theory and first extant philosophical treatise to focus on literary theory in the West. Hello and welcome. This is Bite the Pen. I'm Jen Hansen, and sitting across from me is the 450-mile peripatetic lady philosophizer, Miss Charlotte Martinez. Hello, Charlotte. Hello, Jen. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. I have no idea <laughs> what that was supposed to be. Wait, say it one more time. You're the 450-mile peripatetic lady philosophizer. Can I ask a question? No. Oh. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Can I ask two questions? Yes. What does peripatetic mean? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It's like we didn't plan this at all. Wow. Um, so Aristotle was a philosophizer back in the day, and we're reading a book of his poetics, sort of. Um, but he loved to, like, stroll around, like, the campus Aww. while he taught. And so students were literally forced to walk behind him. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so as a result, the students were known as peripatetics, which is derived from the word uh, for people who travel about. Ah. Um, and since it's like you seem like you're always running around and you are a runner and a I, walker and a walker, okay. I put your mile time is 450. I don't know if that's how fast you run. A oh, mile. the 450. I was like, I yeah. wonder if that's like a page in the book <laughs> and I have to look it up. It's kind of like a national treasure hunt where you're like, oh, all right, all right, I got a clue. I could have stretched it out, I guess, that far, but I don't think we ever would have got there. It's a little obscure. So I still like that. Cool. That's great. And I always like that quote. I think it was Pride and Prejudice where she's like, oh, I'm very fond of walking. So every time I'm walking, I'm like, oh, I'm very fond of walking. <laughs> That's what you think when you're walking. I we do. all wondered. I so. do think that. Yeah. Now we know. Yeah. yeah. We're explaining it. <laughs> I really like that word, though, too. Peripatetic. Ooh, if we do nicknames, can I be peripatetic? you got to be able to say it. <laughs> Not paraplegic. Peripatetic. Peripatetic. Lady philosophizer. I like the full name. I mean, I think saying lady philosophizer is a little redundant because obviously all philosophizers oh. are women, but it's kind of fun to just add the little lady part. I like that. Yeah. And we need a nickname for you too. <laughs> the weirdo uh. with the no hair. No. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So shall we? Yeah. Um, so this is a special episode. Um, Usually, I mean, I think typically you and I will be discussing and going over story development in a number of different ways and for a number of different stories. Like, I know you're excited to cover Sherlock Holmes, I'm assuming. Yes. And I am super excited to cover Jurassic Park, even though some people don't like Jurassic Park, whatever. And Jurassic World, right? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jurassic. Mean, right. Universe. Universe. Ooh, I like that. Which actually fits into the last movie, right? Because, ah. I mean, not quite universe, but... 
they are like in the regular world now. <laughs> I just pictured a dinosaur in space. In space. <laughs> T Rex flying by. But so, anyway, in this episode, we'll be covering a book that I think we'll be using as a way to discuss story development um, in general and story in general. And then, you know, we're going to read some other books. I think that will fit into that, like Joseph Campbell. And I, I'm hoping to kind of hear what other people like to use as source material i know there's a book i really like the war of art um and it's like a philosophy book on art and creation and it was something you remember liz from college the teacher yeah liz Liz leggett's yes she's awesome she recommended that book to me there's actually quite a few books i think from the university of art and design where we can kind of bring out again Yeah. yeah Like the book we're reading right now? Yes. Yes. Uh, is that a good segue? Yes, to it's a great segue. <laughs> how good we job. found this book? <laughs> we were both students at a Santa Fe University of Art and Design, which is R.I.P. Mm, no longer <laughs> in existence. It only lasted about eight years, eight or nine years. Great eight years. It was great. Yeah. And it was very useful for Santa Fe, I thought. Yeah. Um, that's a different subject. Ugh, but an important one. Very important. We can discuss later. Yes, please. And at some point, we both took uh, screenwriting as a course. Um, You weren't actually a film major. Rub that in my face. But, I mean, no. (laughs) Meaning this was very important. You were a writer, and the film department, I think, was in need of good writers. So I was very happy to hear that you had taken this class. Thank you. Because that class definitely needed writers. It did, yeah. That was my point. And it was called... Oh, I was just going to say, just like all film schools, though, Um, right? I mean... I tried to get into a few few film schools when I was back in California. Oh, right. And I always liked screenwriting. And it was kind of surprising how little thought and effort went into screenwriting, especially as a course. Um, and I understand it's like if you write a great script and you are networking and you get the right people to, to read it, that you don't even necessarily need school. But you could say that about anything. Like, I don't think it should be overlooked in school let alone film school of all places um and it's so obvious when they're just it's great to be excited about your medium mm -hmm. but wow when you're forgetting your basics like storytelling yeah it's so apparent when you're watching these student films i'm like wow you didn't even try you were just like look at this cool thing that i can create i'm like okay i know how to use a camera yeah, exactly. That's all I need. Exactly. Yeah. I believe that's called spectacle, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, later. that's true. And that's like the most boring genre that there is, or not genre, species. That's yes. That's what he calls it. We'll it get is. into that. Yes, it is. Yes. So go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I mean, yeah. So I was just going to say what the book is called. Yes. Um, Aristotle's Poetics for Screenwriters, and it's by Michael Tierno. Ooh, getting with the Spanish accent. I'm oh not actually God. sure if he's Spanish. Mikey T. Mikey that's T. That's what we're going to call him. We're going to call him Mikey T. Um, and then, yeah, it was. Uh, I looked him up, and he hasn't really written anything else. Um, this was published in 2002, and, you know, I kind of, we talked about this. I kind of wish that he had an updated version, yeah. like with updated examples, yeah. because a lot of his examples are sort of really extremely outdated, and we've had, I mean, we talked about this a little bit, that there are some issues with this book as as its own thing. There are some issues. Um you know, this is his interpretation of Aristotle's poetics. And I was doing some research and I saw that there are things like terms that Aristotle uses that Mikey T talks about that other people disagree with and the definition of these terms and how they're used and utilized. So it's nice because it's nice to be able to understand the text, but we're understanding it through Mikey T's lens, just like anything. You always got to know where you're getting the information from, right? 
critical thinking anyway. <laughs> I agree. And I felt it. I felt his disorganization a lot. Yeah. So I agree that this needs to be updated or we need to see a different interpretation. Maybe by a woman would be nice. That would be nice. A glossary would have been super great. A I'm just glossary. saying. <laughs> yeah. Like nobody in the company was like, let's just throw a glossary in there since you have like the subject in like eight different chapters. Yes. And I had to go hunting because I like particularly one subject. I was like, I want to know everything about this, but I have to like reread the entire book to go because, and find yeah. everything about it. Anyway. Um, so we're going to talk about the four species of plot. Just as an overview, there's complex, tragedy of suffering, tragedy of character, and spectacle. And I really like that Aristotle addresses the ideas that any story can have a combination of these or one of these or, and, well, and that you don't have to just do one or you don't have to combine them. And, and I think understanding these kinds of plot is important just to know what you're looking at especially I mean this is we're talking about film for the most part I think it's true of all stories but especially these for film you know what kind of movie are you watching are you watching a complex one are you watching a spectacle um and hopefully you'll know what that means should we talk about complex plot I yes Mm -hmm. because he says that's the most well he said Aristotle liked it the most but I think it's also used the most because there's something pretty innate about the basis of it which is reversal of fortune right and or the discovery and he said like psychologically i think we enjoy seeing that losing everything or gaining everything really resonates with us and it does make sense i can't even think of a film that doesn't have that in some sort of way and believe me i've watched a lot of experimental yeah. films so being a film student yeah <laughs> and running a art house theater yes <laughs> um, um, well, the way he, the other things that he describes about complex plot, extremely good to extremely bad, mm-hmm. or extremely ignorant to extremely knowledgeable. Which I love. That's, I love that. Yeah, That's yeah. Awesome. Or any, yeah, combination of those is mm-hmm. really good. And then the, well, he also mentions that there's a third aspect, which is simple plot. Right. Which is maybe there is no good or bad to start off with, but just like mundane. Right. And then something triggers an adventure. Oh, is that what he meant by that? I couldn't figure that out, so I didn't even like write it down. It's a very small <laughs> insert. And I think he's right, because this is like a third option that didn't really exist in times of drama, at least the Grecian dramas. I see. Where it's like, hey, American society is pretty boring sometimes, so what if it's just like the average Joe working oh, in a supermarket? He's neither tragic and he's and he's not you know, weird I mean not weird but I, I wrote down an example that I thought would be good for complex and I think it's actually simple really? simple plot so it's kind of fun we'll talk about that maybe in the examples but and this could be something people disagree with him about because maybe mundane is not is is having nothing you right. know it kind of depends right. on your American views I guess or non-American or wealth. views yeah or yeah wealth that's a big one there's a lot of factors uh, yeah <laughs> but what, so what were some of your examples for... For complex? Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is true, but um, I put down Scrooged. Do you remember that movie? Yeah. With Bill Murray. Um, or any sort of a Christmas Carol right. scenario. Yeah. Right? Okay. I, and I specifically wrote down Scrooged because it's the furthest from the original, and I think it's the most original of a copy. Hey. Um, I'm always impressed by that movie with how they combined certain characters and then broke other characters up into, you know, roles into different characters. Yeah. It's just, I love that movie and it's like so, it's just, it's like a gem. And that was written by Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue, who sounds familiar, but I didn't look at his filmography. 
but I think we should mention the writers. Everybody else mentions directors and screen, not screenwriters, and actors, which I will do, definitely. I like that. No, 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 I want to do that. That's why we have Google here, too. Yes. So I'll I'll, I'll ask Google. Thank you. She's in charge of the whole Google thing. The Google. The Google. Google. Excuse me. Um, So I wrote down Scrooged. Um, An example of he has everything. Right. To having nothing. Right. To having what's important. Right. Right. Is that how that works? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, yeah, we talk about it later, but it, you know, the ending can be changed if it's like a, a happy drama, he calls it, or a drama, drama. Oh, right. <laughs> Meaning we end on the note where it's like, yeah, life sucks, but hey, ours is pretty good after watching that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you think after a drama. We're millennials. I don't think we feel that way. <laughs> We're like, true. wow, that would never happen to us. <laughs> That's true. Or we wouldn't allow it to happen to us. Right. Like, no, no, no. We, we would get back up and make it, That's make it true. change. That's true. <laughs> Hopefully. We're shit on enough that we know how to wipe it off and get back up. Yeah. And, yeah. But you're right. In this case, it's he, he believes he has a lot of fortune, right? And the lesson will come when he loses everything and realizing then that maybe he has quite a lot. Including his own life. Is it the tragic deed? It's like the worst thing that happens to the character on screen. Yes, tragic deed. Tragic deed. So, And I really liked that whole aspect yes. of And I think Scrooge is also another really good example of... I mean, you, you see it get worse and worse and worse and worse until the worst thing for him, for Scrooge, obviously, would be death, death yeah. um, and the, the prospect of going to a hell-like place. Um, right. There is one version of A Christmas Carol that I love where they actually take him to hell. It's uh, great. It's, it's hilarious. This like is where you're going. It's so great. It's like an old TV version or something, and I've always enjoyed that version. I'm like, wow, this is like the Christian hell that he's gone to. I like, And I never thought of that before. A Christmas Carol premise being like, not only do you see where the misfortune is, but that there's levels of it. Right. Oh, you're not convinced yet? Let's go to the second um, what is it? Angel? Soul? Spirit. Spirit. <laughs> yeah. So each spirit's showing him a level of right. misfortune. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's slowly starting to realize it with each level. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of stories do that. You well, kind of get sucked yeah, into it. Totally. And it, it goes back to the causality thing that Aristotle talks about as well in Mikey T. That, you know, all the actions have to make sense. Yes. They have to cause each other. Yes. And if you took one out, it wouldn't make sense. Yes. Right? Yes. So I think it's just a really like blatant but like almost comforting it's like seeing a fairy tale in some ways because you know the layout you know how things are gonna go um and i think that there's something comforting in that especially with the christmas carol it's a holiday movie if you're a christian or non-christian but you've always celebrated christmas thank you very much now that i'm going on a tangent but i think all story does that it all follows a, a layout of some kind and this one just happens to be a more blatant version of that right because it's like an allegory. Allegory is that the right thing? Meadow. Yeah, Meadow? yeah. So it, it meaning the the theme transcends all time. Right. And and it has obviously because we keep remaking a Christmas Carol. And you're right. I think out of all the versions, yeah, Scrooge seems. I mean, it's not only comical, but we can we can relate to like television and right. Maybe we should should we describe kind of what happens in this version of or, Scrooge? Yeah. I mean, um, that, I have it. I think. 
I mean, it's, yeah, I didn't know we'd go this deep into it. Um, so Frank Cross, who's Bill Murray, great name, Frank Cross. Like, it didn't have to have Ebenezer Scrooge in it. Yeah. It's got Cross in it. That's Ugh, true. Just love this movie. So Frank Cross is a wildly successful television executive whose cold ambition and curmudgeonly nature has driven away the love of his life, Claire Phillips, Karen Allen. I love her. But after firing a staff member on Christmas Eve, Frank is visited by a series of ghosts who give him a chance to reevaluate his actions and right the wrongs of his past. Nice. Um, thank you, Google. And it leads beautifully into a discovery or a recognition, right? Because when right. we're down so many levels with our character in the final spirit that shows him his death, right? there's only one place for him to go, which is back up. And we do see the character recognize his mistakes. Yeah, he and goes then, from ignorance to knowledge. Exactly. Right. This is the perfect example for awesome. this one. Yay. Damn, you should have seen mine. Mine were like, I don't know, like disaster films. They all fine and then everybody's screwed. I put that under spectacle. Interesting. Because I don't feel like a lot of those have plot. Yeah, they do. And I don't go in there for plot. I go in there for destruction, which is uh, totally spectacle. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm glad you agree. Okay, well, I had a question then for yeah. the complex plot. What about like the opposite? When they they start with nothing and then gain things. I was thinking about that. The movie that came to mind was The Pursuit of Happiness. Oh, yeah. That one came to mind. I don't remember the beginning, but I know that they're both like on the street, right? Right, right. Um, at least near the beginning, if not right at the beginning. Yes, yes. Um, and then it's about them climbing out. Not only of poverty, but of him achieving what he wants to achieve, not just... Finding another main like mundane job exactly. to blow him over. Exactly, but ultimate dream. Right. Yeah. I like it. That one works because there's an instant struggle and we relate to that too. Right. Like having nothing to working hard to gain something. And then that at that point your discovery happens when you either reach it or maybe you fail to reach it. I don't know. I don't I don't know well, you any fail. movies where you fail, but I mean maybe you fail to reach what you thought you wanted. Ah, yes, cuz along the way you discover what, what you, you actually, actually want exactly. or actually need or what actually matters or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that he Aristotle and Mikey T talk about desire and when we get to character development, but that desire is a big part of what is the basis of your character taking the role of the hero in the action. Right. Right. And I thought that was pretty cool. Like, what do these characters desire? You know, and Will Smith in that movie, his character doesn't desire just getting out of poverty. He desires like a certain kind of life for him and his his son and, and all that fun stuff. Damn. Yeah. That's a good one. And that is a is extreme. Yeah. Extreme movements. Right. Another resonant for us viewers. Those are great examples. Oh my god. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad. I think I'll have better examples later. So as we see, either version works. Right. right of reverse of fortune right so the next one is tragedy of suffering all good tragedy has suffering and must uh and most good dramatic movies contain a certain amount of intense physical or mental suffering or both some movies contain suffering to such a degree that it would seem as if suffering were the very soul of the drama it's a little dramatic but i think that i I don't really particularly like movies that concentrate on this. Yeah. <laughs> because there's nowhere to go from that. We all are suffering as it is. Right. And yes, we like to see that on screen, but we also like to see that we can be better than that. Um, sure, yeah. And I know a lot of these, I'm sure the examples that he used, I'm sure they do some of that. Where sure. they're like, oh, it's not all tragedy and suffering. Right. There's some hope. Or is there a question mark? I don't know how they are. Because I've seen some pretty art housey films yeah. that were just like a study of suffering. Oh, God. It's like Lars Van Trier or something. Horrible, horrible stuff that doesn't 
give you anything right except horrible stuff right yeah right and yeah i mean i'm sure it resonates with people but i don't you know i personally don't need to see more of that yeah and as like a listener in life Mm -hmm. i already hear a lot of that so right you know escapism sometimes is nice yes or showing that there's you know there's hope would be nice too right Um, I was going to say, like, I think the only ones that I like this that are like this, and I don't even know if this counts, would be like Schindler's List or something that talks about a historical thing that happened, which caused suffering, but that the whole plot isn't just based on the suffering. It's based on the survival. And I did. Yeah, I wrote down like all war movies. Yeah. um, As like a study of suffering. Totally. Human suffering. And I mean literally any war movie and i wrote them all i was like a brave heart cold mountain glory nice the patriot I nice mean, chandler's list all of those are just yeah of suffering right i mean they're great movies there's so there's other elements of course right which makes them very good but those were like the only kind of examples a lot of shakespearean stuff can probably oh interesting just be categorized as tragedy um, of suffering of suffering yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean i know they're all tragedy i, I mean, mean a lot of them are but. yeah for sure what were some examples Well, I mean, I think just a lot of movies that fit into the genre are horror and psychological genres, which have their place. And I used to love horror, horror films and psychological films. Um, I still like psychological thrillers, but I can't do horror and psychological together. It'll just mess me up too much. And it's sort of a dangerous game. But um, I did mention Shutter Island because I thought that that was a really good example of both physical and psychological um, suffering to some degree. Um, I don't think I really need to go into it, to be honest. And we're obviously not super into these kinds of films, so we can just move right along. (laughs) But we can. It's nice to identify it. Like war movies, that's a lot of physical pain and then more horror and Right. Thriller is more psychological pain. Right. Yeah. Mm. I'd actually rather take physical in a movie any day over psychological. (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's probably why, like, things like Sweeney Todd, it's like, oh, the the blood is, like, super fake red. Right. I can handle that. And they're singing. And they're singing. (laughs) Cool. That's a nice little catalyst where I'm not, like, completely, like, you know. Destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you're right. I'd rather take the the physical. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. There's too many movies that I will never forget because they're psychological based, not physical based. Physical is just, it's so instant. You feel it in your body and then it's gone. But psychological like stays in your brain forever. Um, We need to fight more psychological wars. I honestly think that's what a lot of people are doing a lot of the time. They're fighting wars with themselves and with others that are all psychological based or psychologically based. Um, That's why we have to confront our shadow and have support and going into my therapist mood. (laughs) What was your relationship with your mother? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It totally is. Uh, The next one's tragedy of character. Do you want to describe that to us? Developing nuances of characterizations and relationships in a loosely plotted way is his definition. And this does make sense, actually, especially for art house films, where we do focus a lot on a character interacting with their environment or with the people around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what you and I talked about, especially, was the the characters that are kind of messed up. <laughs> I mean, or I called it dysfunc- dysfunctional people relating to each other. Right. Yes. I think are good examples of this category. And some of the things we came up with, uh, what about Bob? I, I said the dream team, as good as it gets, Silver Linings Playbook. And you said the odd couple. 
I think the odd couple fits in there. It's a comedy version, but dysfunctional people working together. I think Sherlock probably fits in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Watson definitely has some issues. Yeah. Yeah. And I, well, I think, I think the difference for me, though, is, is how much of those oddities get the, the screen time. Right. Right. So that's what makes it more of a tragedy of character rather than a movie that happens to have tragedy of character. I see. Because um, that's all we focus or main thing we focus on. Right. Right. Yeah. I struggle with this kind of plot. I just it it's so confusing to me and I don't totally get it. Well, no, and there's not a lot. I mean, to, oh, yeah. to be fair, he doesn't really say a whole lot about this. And his examples are really, I don't. I unhelpful. Don't, are very unhelpful because they're all from the same director. right? Yeah. I mean, and they're a director that neither of us really like or want to watch because it's all very like psychological and like not our thing meaning like does it have to be psychological if it's a character study i don't think it has to be i really think my theory is that it has to do with screen time with how much attention you're giving to the nuances of your character so one of the things we mentioned was monk ah yes i mean that's very similar to sherlock I, i would say we spend more time with monk's character and his his what he does exactly um but it's still i mean it's still not just that right right i mean it's a big part of it but i think screen time we are focused still more on relationships on solving a crime on his past not just his sort of you know it's got to be very few films that actually just do tragedy of character oh although i heard i heard um as an example the other day my dinner with andre Oh, interesting. Never seen it. I have. I haven't seen it either. But it's been talked about quite a bit, and maybe we should look this up later. Okay. But it there's not a lot of plot, and Ugh. it's just people. Oh God. Eating. Oh God. <laughs> so I mean, sounds like our worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be a lot of fun because then you're playing with dialogue. You're playing with what you want right. to highlight. Um, yeah. With your camera, you know. True. There's a lot of um, experimentation with with the medium that can right. go on with this category, right? So maybe if you're really like a filmmaker or a film type, this is something that would be interesting to you. And if that's not really your thing, you'd probably be really bored, I would assume. I mean, yeah, because when I think of storytelling, I don't think of that. I mean, yeah, you could you could argue it is a form of storytelling and they are telling a story by not telling a story. But that's not uh, that's not really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm putting a lot of judgments on it and I haven't seen it, but um. I don't really enjoy when people, you know, try to dissemble, disassemble something just to disassemble it. Right. What are you providing, you know, when you do that? So. And yeah, for me, it always goes back to like universal themes yeah. and hero's journey. I, I think big because yeah. I want to believe that something is bigger than me. Totally. And when they zone in on specifics of people, yeah. I'm just like, yes, we understand that. That's what we're trying to get away from in real life. Like, we understand we have these nuances. Um, so are you eating uh, broccoli? Yeah, it's broccoli. That's good. It's green. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's kind of like cauliflower, but that's white. Oh, it's white. Like, who the hell cares? <laughs> I don't give. But that's kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah. you kind of space out a little bit Yeah. in 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 that kind of character study. Yeah. I tried looking up tragedy of character and that did not lead me anywhere. That led me to like tragedies about characters and like, you know, and like characters doing tragic things. And I'm like, this is not the Aristotle term I'm looking for. Right. Right. Yeah. This could be something that other people are talking about too. Well, let us know what that actually means and give us like two examples. That's your homework. I think, I think both tragedy of suffering and tragedy of character are just elements 
that you add genre to other plots exactly yeah and most i bet you most stories will include both of these in some way trying to make a story out of just that is obviously not very resonant (laughs) i mean yeah yeah, it's not yeah agreed so on that note spectacle yes there's a lot to be said about this one especially nowadays our last and final fourth species of plot (laughs) and it's exactly as it says it's the spectacle on the screen it's what we place in the frame which is called mise-en-scene I kept trying to say that, and I couldn't. And I was like, how does she say it? (laughs) Say it again. Mise-en-scene. Yeah, that. And it literally means uh, what's in the frame. Well, his example was Moulin Rouge, which right right now even seems outdated because our CGI is out of this world. (laughs) Is there CGI CGI in Moulin Rouge? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I think, no, he was talking more about, like, the the theatrical of it. Oh, gotcha. There's just so much on screen all the time. Oh, I see. I see. And it feels feels very fake, but it, it, it helps it helps that atmosphere that they're going with right so i get it okay Um, but moulin rouge had a great story in my opinion okay so i think we kind of wanted to talk more about this fad of action movies that is showing off the medium as he says the spectacle is great because it shows off what we can do with the medium absolutely and it is impressive our cgi is uh, just out of this world again (laughs) it really is though if you think about it yeah and not just cgi but camera effects and um i don't even practical effects that they still use in conjunction with with artificial ones the the degree that you can go now is so guardians of the galaxy comes up for me in my mind of something very visual yes um ready player one ready player one big one too absolutely avatar yeah that's the big one the most expensive yeah (laughs) so far right yeah i think i think you're right but then you get some really i mean no offense some really crappy ones too transformers 11 at this point i mean it's just they feel like getting bigger is better right and i mean don't get me wrong there's still going to be audiences that go and watch that it's interesting though because a lot of the Transformers films, the ones, all the ones they made after the third one, they still make them because they're hugely popular in China. Oh, that's right. In Japan and international audiences, which I think is interesting. I feel like there's a lot there to to chew on, but I I kind of am proud of the American people who are like kind of bored with it. I'm yeah. like, thank you. This is proving the point that you can't just rely on spectacle. Right. It's more than just spectacle that makes a film. And I I think a good example of that is The Matrix. Very visual. It was very groundbreaking for its time. I think it's still pretty awesome, like just the effects, but it it has a great story behind it and a strong one. And it's one that people still reference, even if it's a a joke. It's still in the, like, zeitgeist. It is. uh, Which is kind of impressive, because it's like a 90s film, right? Or 2000-something. But it broke some barriers. Totally. I really like that. I think Harry Potter does a good job of using spectacle to highlight the story. To highlight the things that we want to see, but not take the place of plot right and i I was just thinking that you just mentioned a few genres there so it's it's helping it's helping the genre itself too right these visuals and Mm -hmm. mise-en-scene and what you can create now with these universes um, right just enriches each genre Um, and i do appreciate that but you're right if you lose the basis of a story then we don't i mean the spectacle almost doesn't matter because you start zoning out exactly you can show us something fantastic kind of like okay i'm gonna say it because it has to be said (laughs) 2001 a space odyssey thank you i said it everyone i get it i really i do get it i do understand why but i in my defense 
again, I, I help run an art house theater. I've tried a lot of films. I really have. But I've tried this one four times, and I've zoned out every single time. Yeah. And I'm super patient. I really you am. And You're I, a very patient person. Right? So I, I get why it, mm-hmm. it was a groundbreaking film and I get why it's still important but it at that point it, it's not so much story for me it's not trying to reach a catharsis for me it's trying to show us what you can do with this medium and it's appreciated that's what I'm gonna say about that but it's definitely not I mean people I think a lot of people mention that film because you're supposed to mention that film right it's fine I think it's fine if people want to watch it and talk about it great but let's not pretend that it's more than it is that would be my two cents on it I agree my my poor example of spectacle uh, in my personal opinion is transcendence did you ever see that film with johnny depp ah oh wait maybe tell me about it johnny depp's character is the world's foremost authority on ai and then he's he's conducting all these like highly controversial experiments to create a sentient machine it's very ghost in the machine um and then these extremists try to kill him and the only way to save him ends up being like uploading him into the computer yes i did watch this you know he's able to continue living he's he's sort of gains this like thirst for not for power and for knowledge and like he sort of loses perspective because now he has control over things and can see more and it's interesting but I thought it was really ironic because there was a lot of spectacle in it that didn't do anything it was just there to be there to like prove to you that this is what's happening which I think is completely unnecessary I mean the Terminator didn't they the Terminator worked with what they had to show you but they weren't trying to prove anything to you you got it you were like this is well written enough that I don't need to rely on you trying to prove anything and then on top of that the effects that they used in Transcendence that were not spectacle, I would say, like they weren't over the top. They were very like, you know, like a, an actor is now pretending to be Johnny Depp, right? He's like Johnny Depp is in his mind. So he's just walking around as Johnny Depp now. Right. Like those are not really even effects. And those were the most effective. Wow. Those were the things that were like sticks with me. Whereas I remember some like random things like visuals, but I had to like watch some clips on YouTube to remember what the spectacle looked like because it didn't matter. And you know why that doesn't matter? Because it doesn't forward the story. Totally. As he says, no matter how spectacular you can make Mm -hmm. like a fight scene, if you're in space, you know, like all of the war scenes or... You know, they're they're great, but as we've noticed, you don't even remember those fight scenes because all you need to know is two seconds worth of some sort of controversy. Right. And we get it. So let's keep propelling the story forward. But instead, what we get now is 10 minutes worth of destruction and and like endless fighting and like oh some choreographer could come in and be like oh but that fight is choreographed so much so that you know you see this kick over here and then that right i'm like i get it that's another that's another art form but we as the viewers are interested in story and I would argue that there is there is a genre for that. I mean, a lot of the like Jackie Chan films use the choreography of fighting in a way that's interesting. Yeah. And you're into it. And it's not it, it isn't even because it's cool. It's because it's like, oh, my God, how do these people do this? Yeah. Like, how is this real? You know, and then you have something like Venom, which I love that movie. But like those fight scenes, it's so much CGI. It's so fake. And then it goes on forever and ever. And you're like, I'm not impressed, A, because I know you just made this on a computer for the most part. I mean, they still have people kind of doing some of that. But 
I can't even view it as a person being impressed by another human being because I know that it's CGI edited. Yeah, there's there's la- oh, there's a whole lack of sympathy there. Totally. Because Jackie Chan, not only are you like pushed physically pushed in on the fight, right? Like, the camera is actually up in their faces. Yeah. Here. I mean, and you know it's authentic, right? Which is another huge aspect of Crazy. it. Crazy. But you're right. CGI allows us to be unresponsive to be out of removed thank you that's what i was looking for and then there goes the sympathy part yeah so really you really then don't need this scene more and more so and then it just gets longer and longer right and you're just like oh my god like i don't i'm completely zoned out (laughs) what's Um, happening in the story (laughs) yeah like uh and uh, you know we talked about this briefly about into the spider-verse i thoroughly enjoyed that film and I thought it was great. And I was still bored with some of the fight scenes. And I think that's fair. I don't think it, it says anything about the script so much as it does about the directing or the editing or what the producers are looking for. They want to meet like a quota of fight scenes or something. Which is an agenda. Which is an agenda. Which we also know does not help story at all. Never. Right. Never. Okay. So I do want to mention one shout out, which is to Pan's Labyrinth. I thought Pan's Labyrinth did an amazing job of meeting spectacles with story especially fairy tale in a very dark way I just love that film and there are images from that film that stick with me that are both fake and you know real totally and I I just think that that film is a great example of meshing the two just personally no gosh I mean that film actually has quite a few elements working for it because it's during a war too right right yeah yeah oh my gosh there's so much to that yeah I probably can't watch it again but I the first time it was like oh oh my gosh (laughs) but then I I even had a catharsis despite Mm -hmm. like the tragedy yeah there was a catharsis to be had there totally the magical realism really just brought that out and we're focused enough on not just what the images are but what the images mean yes exactly yes yes the spectacle worked for for a theme for story for character gosh yeah i I mean we just saw captain marvel and i wanted to like it more but we spent so much time on spectacle that didn't do anything and no no spectacle with depth either no like not if somebody at all. would sit down with her and be like okay this weapon was created by my grandfather and you see her practicing with it and you see her struggling with it and then when she finally uses it on an enemy mm-hmm. maybe then we can stick with the fight scene using this weapon that she's mastered but we don't right. get any of that anymore Mm-mm. it's just quick it's like right. these are the arsenals this is the situation. Mm-hmm. These are the types of fire that come blasting right. out of this one. You know, like it, none of it right. has depth or character. It's yeah. like it, it's just filling in the space at this point. Honestly, okay, we're going to go on a little bit of a sidetrack. That's why I love Michonne from The Walking Dead so much. They What they did in that show, I haven't watched it in a while, but I heard that the new episode is badass and it's all about Michonne. But I, I loved her character because the one thing she has with her the whole time is her samurai sword. And they connect that. They use that as a tool to see her past, to see her present, to see how she is mentally. She sort of loses it for a while and goes like back to her old ways. The through line for us is her her samurai sword. And I think that's so powerful. When, you know, when she sets it down and when she puts it away, when she gets to uh, one of the places that they get to. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, Destination. It's one of the towns that they end up in. You know, she doesn't want it. She doesn't want to use it. And it's such a great symbol for, like, the struggle and the pain and losing her child and, like, losing her husband. And, you know, and then when she has to take it back out again, you feel it. 
because she spent time with this is her longest relationship in this new world i love it yeah That's, it means something it needs to be happening more yes. definitely even like you know uh not thor thanos's gauntlet the, the the thing he wears on his his hand i think that could have been deeper yeah i think they had a, a chance there to make it deeper yeah to connect that and they they didn't which is fine i mean that's I, I guess i'm maybe expecting too much but no but that's a good example yeah and and i yeah i mean i know marvel comics probably have a lot more detail with the tools that they're using the weapons right you know, captain america his shield and yeah um well iron man and his suits but keeps destroying those all the time. I was going to say, like, for a while there, Iron Man in his suit was a big thing. But then in, like, one of the movies, he creates, like, 20 of them. Right. And immediately you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. Anybody could be Iron Man. Why ah, are you doing this? Interesting. It's you no, know, no longer unique. It's, yeah. I was like, I don't really care as much anymore. Ah. I, I think that was a mistake on their part. But I get why they had to do that. Right. Practically. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. We could unpack a lot about Marvel. Yeah. We will. <laughs> Thank you for taking the journey with me. I think we will pick up where we left off for episode two on Aristotle next week. You can follow us on Twitter at Bite the Pen, or if you'd like to email us, you can reach us at bitethepen at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard, please tell your friends. We appreciate everyone who's listening and supporting us. You guys are amazing. Thank you. <laughs>